As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The Gospel of the Lord. May be seated. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I think we have all heard that. If it hasn't been at a funeral service or a place where a body is being laid to rest or ashes are scattered. We have maybe heard it in movies or read it in books. But where does that language come from? Our first reading this evening from the book of Genesis gives us the best answer. When Jewish storytellers were inspired to tell the truth about who we are as human creatures, they used language that was very rich in meaning for them. They told how God took dust of the ground and formed it into a creature that had the same name as the ground itself. The word association in their Hebrew story was unmistakable. The name for Adam and the ground from which he came were one and the same. I have always thought about that as a very significant theological concept and proclamation about who we are in relationship to God and in relationship to all of creation. Jewish people who lived 3,000 years ago did not understand biology and chemistry in the way that we do today, but they wanted to tell the truth about our identity, our place, our proper place within creation. And they used the power of a good story to do that. But lo and behold, in these recent years, we have learned that the truth of their theology can be held together with the truth of science for an even more profound affirmation of our identity. Just recently I read an article in the science and technology section of a major newspaper in which biological engineers from Cornell University said that clay may have been the birthplace of life on earth, including human life. I have to admit that I have no good way of evaluating that with my own education, but I was fascinated by what they were saying. 
Clay, they said, which is a combination of minerals in the ground, acts as a breeding laboratory for tiny molecules and chemicals which it absorbs like a sponge. The process, they said, takes billions of years during which the chemicals react to each other to form proteins, DNA, and eventually living cells. It's a profound thing to consider from the perspectives of both theology and also science. But it is very humbling for us as human beings. And that is where I think we run into trouble. And the reason for that is that we also have something very deep within us called hubris, which is the opposite of humility. The dictionary describes hubris as exaggerated pride or self-confidence. And if we had continued reading the second creation story in Genesis, we would have seen that early Jews recognized hubris as the origin of our human sin. The two earth creatures named Adam and Eve became enamored with the idea that they could shake off their connection to this earthy existence. They didn't like the way it put them beneath God, but also the way it grounded them in their mortality. And we can understand that, not only when we think about our own groundedness in that way, but grounded to this earth and to this world that in so many ways is bound to cycles of life and death. This has been another heart-wrenching day, a day when we recognize that our groundedness means connected, connectedness to death uh, and to violence of the human family. And it's easy to see why there is a something within us that seeks always to somehow be detached from that. But we are bound to all that God has created, including all of God's people. The temptation for Adam and Eve was irresistible. The serpent said, when you eat the forbidden fruit, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. It was music to their ears, and they embraced the false promise that we still do today. It didn't go well, as you probably know. In the end, it was up to God to put them in their proper place. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, God said. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's not typical to read this story on Ash Wednesday, but I think it has a very important connection to the message and the meaning of this holy day. Because after all, when we receive ashes on our bodies, we are remembering that we are creatures who are bound to both life and death in this world, to those cycles of creation. And we remember that we are not equal to God. On Ash Wednesday, we put aside our hubris and remember that we are, in fact, humus. 
We are the organic matter of the earth out of which God fearfully and wonderfully created human beings. The word association in English works too. Humans are humus. The humus from which we came are one and the same. That should just fill us with awe and wonder. A God that can do that, even over billions of years, incredible. But more often it disturbs us because it goes against the myth that we love about our own identity. Like Adam and Eve, we love the myth of our superiority to all that is earthy. We love to think of ourselves as unique and special in relationship to the rest of creation and therefore above it, sometimes even above the pain and struggles of other people. But then we hear the words, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. I've always welcomed those words on Ash Wednesday. But I have to admit that there is a part of me that still resists the deep truth that is in them. And it isn't that I think of myself as immortal, that I couldn't even be the victim of violence today in the way that others have. It isn't that I'm in denial about the fact that I will die. It's more about the internal battle between hubris and humus. It's more about the resistance within my heart toward anything that it exposes my inclinations towards self-reliance or the fact that I can just do this by my own, on my own will. Toward the notion that I can live for one moment without the providence and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of a God who created me in love. It's also about the truth that I often want to put my own desire for security and well-being and safety above that of others. It's about my resistance to the truth that I do, in fact, elevate my concern for those things, often above the well-being of all. And in my relationship to all creation, about the truth that I live as if my consumption and my waste did not somehow affect the ground out of which I came and all other life created by God. That's why those words that we hear when the ashes are put on our foreheads tonight challenge me. I suppose it is a bit like being grounded as a child. They remind me that I have transgressed something that is good, something that is sacred. But there's another way of being grounded that is altogether good. And that too is a way of hearing these words tonight. To be grounded also means to have your whole person connected to something ultimately good and, and so enduring like we read whenever we come into our sanctuary, to be rooted and grounded in love is a sacred thing. And that way of hearing the words 
brings me back to that first creation story in Genesis where God calls the ground out of which we came good. And then God calls humans good as we are created in God's image. In other words, when you hear that you are dust tonight, you can also remember that you are holy ground. You are God's good creation, bound in love to all other life that depends on God for every breath and every blessing and for mercy each moment of the day. That's the same holy ground that Jesus took in the gospel story we heard in order to heal a person who was blind from birth. In this new expression of love, it isn't just dry ground, but ground mixed with water from Jesus' mouth. St. John called it mud. And that caught the attention of a second century Christian named Irenaeus. In reading the story, Irenaeus also remembered something about the ground out of which Adam was created. He remembered that before Adam was molded by the loving hands of God, there was a mist that watered the whole face of the ground. Irenaeus called it the dew of the spirit, like the moisture which covers the earth at the dawn of each new day. It's a beautiful image from the mixture of dry ground and water. In that beautiful gospel story, the mud became something that could be molded and shaped. And based on that image, Irenaeus took to calling all of us as human beings mud creatures. It seems like something we would not want to have any association with. But he saw that as a healing and new creation story. When Jesus takes the mud and uses it as a way of bringing new life and new hope to a person. Irenaeus sees a story of God's new creation for all of us. The ashes that we receive on our bodies tonight will also be mixed with water. It will be water from our baptismal font because there is no better way to remember who we are. We are not just dry ground, but ground mingled with the eternal love and grace and mercy and forgiveness of God that is poured out to us in our baptism. Ground that becomes mud, or better yet, perhaps clay. Clay that can be shaped and molded into a new creation, even as we leave this place today. And as we go, we will sing, Mold me, Lord, shape me, make me according to your will. It is a sacred prayer to hold in our hearts as we go forth into Lent, trusting in the loving touch of our Maker. Amen.